Welcome to Insights. I'm Dick Goldberg. Recently, fast food workers in Chicago walked off their jobs demanding their minimum wage be $15 an hour. In the city of SeaTac, Washington, voters will be deciding on a referendum for a $15 minimum wage. This idea is getting a lot of attention and some traction. No doubt it would push many workers out of the working poor classification, but would it Would it do more good reducing poverty for those who keep their jobs or more pain through higher inflation or unemployment? With us today to discuss this is Dr. Bob Haveman. Bob is a research associate and was the past director at the Institute for Research on Poverty at the University of Wisconsin. He has published very widely a list that so long we'd be here all day if I told you about it, but He's also in that area of publishing, published on poverty and social policy. Bob, thanks for being with us. Dick, my pleasure. How widespread is poverty among working people, the working poor? How big a category is that? There's been a lot of effort to try to define what the working poor are. The tricky thing about doing that is that you have to identify a level of work that you're going to expect a person to be doing uh, yeah. before you'll call them a worker. A typical definition sort of chooses 25 hours a week, 52 weeks a year. And with that kind of definition, um, in America now, today, about 7.9, maybe 8% of families are working and poor. If you look at unrelated individuals, so these would be single individuals, that rate goes up. Probably 115 to 12% of single individuals living independently are both working and poor. Why would families have less poverty than work, the singles? I think singles, they lead, need less money. Why would the... Well, that's part of the uh, situation. That is, if you are single, to get to some level of living, you don't have to work 27 hours a week, maybe working less mm-hmm. than that. If you work less than that, you're thrown out of the category of working and poor. Wow. Well, what is a living wage? I mean, let, let's take a, a family of four. Someone, let's say, works 40 hours full time. How much do they have to make an hour so that they're not poor? See, you ask very tough questions, Dick. So. As with that question, um, it's very arbitrary where you define what a living wage is because most living wage definitions focused on an amount of money necessary to buy necessities. And there is no standard for necessities. Now, one standard there is, is is the poverty line. Okay. Is a wage rate high enough to pull you out of poverty. Now, if you're a family of four and you're the only worker, you gotta make more money to pull that family out of poverty than if you're a single person. And for a family of four, how much, what is the poverty level? Okay, the poverty level for a family of four is about $24,000 a year today. Okay, and my quick, I'm good at quick math. There you go. That sounds like about 11 something an hour. That's, you've got it. Oh good. That's exactly right. Yeah. So eleven fifty an hour would bring people to or a little above the poverty level. There's one bread earner in That's the family. That's exactly right. Wow. 
They don't need $15 an hour. <laughs> yes, well, I suppose they do. I'm not being that. That's but most thing. advocates of the living wage don't stop at the poverty line as a definition of the living wage. They want something higher than that. <clears throat> and where you stop once you get out of that pretty tight definition yeah. is unclear. You can stipulate anything that you mm-hmm. want to say is a minimum necessary for a fulfilling life. So is it safe to say, certainly for full-time workers, that $15 an hour would eliminate poverty among those who have full-time work, be it a family or certainly a single person? Yeah, that's basically correct, except for a single worker in a very large family, let's say with six kids, so a family of eight. That wouldn't do it. Okay. and by the way, in most families uh, today, and that's a real change over the last 30 years, there's not sim- simply one worker, there's typically two workers. Often the second worker will be a part-time worker if the first worker is a full-time worker. Um, so all of those issues, number of workers, how much work, how much do you need to make to pull yourself up to a given level of living, those are all open for debate. Okay, but if you're looking at this politically, and you're a senator and you're talking about it at a panel, it seemed to me the key question is if you're working 40 hours, because no one is saying if you work a few hours a week, you should make enough money, we should we owe it to you to get you above the poverty line if you yep. just put in a few hours of work and that's all you want to do. Yep. But clearly 40 hours a week, unless you have a ton of kids, will get you out of poverty. Fair enough? At $15. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, except for rare circumstances. Okay. Um, Now, let's talk about who this is going to affect if it happened. Um, What would happen if you raised the minimum wage to $15 an hour? First of all, a lot of people think this is a great idea, period. It's wonderful. People get what they deserve. All these rich CEOs making millions. Why shouldn't anyone get $15 an hour? Um, We eliminate poverty in one stroke of a pen. Reduce inequality. Reduce inequality, right. So I would suspect most people would be really excited about this idea. Let's talk about what happens if it happened. $15 an hour minimum wage. What would happen to a company? Let's start with McDonald's. Let's start there. Um, It's interesting that you start there because McDonald's is a company that hires a lot of people at the minimum wage. These are people typically with very little training, very little work experience, often very young, few educational qualifications. Now, if you all of a sudden said, okay, McDonald's, instead of paying eight bucks an hour, you gotta pay 15, McDonald's executives would go to work and they would say, all right, we're gonna have to figure out a way to balance off the cost of labor with the cost of other ways of doing business. Maybe we can automate certain things at the McDonald's restaurant. Well, why haven't they done that already? Well at the wage they're paying, the incentive to do that is much less than if the wage goes to $15. Okay. Moreover, they'll say, well, you know, um, we're going to optimize the way our workers work and we're gonna get more customers served per worker if we make various changes. Well, no matter what they do here, either they 
have a new technology that facilitates things or they get more out of their workers, the number of workers that they're going to want will fall. So without question, McDonald's, if they have to pay a $15 minimum wage, will reduce the size of its workforce. Million dollar question, how much? You know, and that is a million dollar question. Um, I would say that most uh, studies, and believe me, there have been a ton of studies by economists on the effect of a minimum wage, would agree that the effect on, on employment levels is going to be negative. After you say that, you get some studies who estimate a large effect, other studies who estimate virtually a zero effect. How could they think that? Zero. Well, for example, one of the most classic studies uh, is a study that looked at uh, fast food restaurants in New Jersey versus, versus Pennsylvania, right across the border. New Jersey had a higher minimum wage than the ones in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And when that minimum wage went up in New Jersey, they said, well, by golly, we expect employment to fall mm -hmm. relative to the Pennsylvania restaurants. Well, it didn't fall. So there is a puzzle. The minimum wage went up, but employment didn't fall. Hmm. So that is one of the studies that yeah. concludes very my, little. My hunch is it wasn't this dramatic, the difference. Well, that's the point. You move from, let's say, a $10 minimum wage to a $15 minimum wage, that's big time. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of cost. In my view, you would get a non-trivial. Now, don't ask me how big that is, but, but it would be a sizable reduction in the demand for the, for the nation's lowest skilled workers here. Hmm. And they already have problems getting jobs. Huh? They already have problems getting jobs, especially in this slow recovering economy. Okay. I just saw a documentary on Henry Ford. And as you probably know, Henry Ford had big turnover when he introduced mass production. Workers got real bored on their jobs doing the same thing over and over eight hours a day or 10 hours a day. And he changed the way he defeated that or uh, solved that problem is he raised the wage from $2.34 a day to $5 a day. And people put up with the boredom and didn't leave the jobs. They were He had to hire 100,000 people, or a million people to keep 100,000 jobs over a year's time. Now he got people to stay. So if you raised this, oh, the, the other benefit he got, now people could afford to buy his car, who worked for him. So if you put in this minimum wage, you lose some workers, but then you have workers with more money in their pocket to buy the product, not true? Well, that's right. Uh, let's take it back to your McDonald's okay. example, okay? So you have fewer workers of low skill at McDonald's restaurants. They have, the ones who have kept their job have more money. Mm-hmm. Well, they're going to spread that money over a lot of things, including rent and various other things. Uh, at the margin, they're going to spend a lot more on McDonald's. Um, you might, in fact, hope that they didn't. On the other hand, the people that would have been working but are not now working, they've got less money to spend. Mm -hmm. They're going to be buying fewer McDonald's. So there's a trade-off there. It's okay. like every intervention in the economy. You can look at the plus side, and by golly, you pursue it a little bit, and it's got a lot of side effects that are hard to discern. Besides automation, 
why else would people be laid off? I mean, you, it, McDonald's owners might say, let's figure out a machine that can flip some burgers or put the ketchup on instead of a human now that we can afford to pay more for a machine given we have to pay $15 yeah. an hour. So you'd have more automation replacing people. Why else would you have layoffs from McDonald's besides more automation if you raise the minimum wage? I think the best way to think about this, Dick, is that if you're a company, you have a wide variety of expenses, which when you total them all up, equal your costs. And each of those categories has a price. And your job is to put all of those pieces together in a way that will maximize your profits. Sure. And a corollary of that is you want to minimize your costs. Well, if the price of one thing goes up, but the price of all the other inputs doesn't go up, then you're going to find ways of substituting away from the high price thing I see. into the lower price thing. And it's that substitution that leads to less employment. Okay, I might be getting really picky here. But if you say, okay, labor is so expensive now we're going to cut back on our labor. Yeah. Let's assume no change in automation. What, well, how are you going to substitute for the person? You still have to have people serving customers. You still want fast service or people aren't going to come to McDonald's. So what are you, what are you going to add when you cut back on labor? You're posing here a interesting and knife-edge situation because you're saying, well, no matter what you do, if you don't innovate, you've got to have a set of workers of a certain size mm -hmm. to serve the customer base. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say that that is a rare phenomenon. Huh. I mean, you can change the way that the workers operate. Well, that's innovation, Dick. Anything you do that rearranges the workplace is innovation. It doesn't have to be, you know, a supercomputer to be innovation. Okay, so you'll be forced to figure out something. You'll figure, will. You will figure out something, that's right. And what will happen to the price of burgers? Um, another interesting question. Because a really important input to the production of McDonald's burgers is labor, the price of burgers will go up some, but because of the substitution we're talking about, the price of burgers will go up less than you would expect it mm -hmm. to be mm -hmm. because there'll be substitution away from the higher price labor into other inputs. And how about profitability in McDonald's? I believe that McDonald's operates in a pretty competitive marketplace with a whole variety of other consumer things that people buy. And as the market figures its way out, McDonald's, <coughs> McDonald's profits aren't going to change a lot. So people won't go to the grocery store more than McDonald's if they have to raise their prices a little? They and, will. And buy bread they and bologna will. instead at of At the margin, there will be some pinch on profit margin, but it's a... It's a competitive industry, and they're going to, okay. when the day is done, earn a competitive rate of return. What I should have done earlier in this interview is ask you to frame for us where we're at with the minimum wage right now compared to historically. Is it at its highest level in terms of real purchasing power, or are we at low level? You know, I wish I was able to show you a graph. Um, we're at a level now, which is the mid-$7 range. Mm-hmm. 
Some states have a higher minimum wage than that. Um, in recent years, that minimum wage has kept up with the rate of inflation. But if you look at the real minimum wage that is adjusting for inflation, yeah. years ago it was much higher than it is now. So the real minimum wage has come down and then only recently has it started to increase at the same rate as price increase. Do you have any data on how much we'd have to raise it to get to where it was the uh, most generous? Oh yeah, I think we've got to go up to 10, 11 bucks an hour. Okay, so it once was close to a living wage. Then. Yeah, well, <laughs> whatever, we, we you do, well whatever you define a living wage If you define me. it as just getting out of poverty for a family of four, yeah. we determined here that 11.50 would do it. If you could For return to that level that in the past that we had in terms of inflation-adjusted minimum wage, that would go a long way to moving people who, who are full-time workers yeah. out of poverty. You know, Dick, one of the things that you've got to understand here is that a lot of the workers who are in low-paid jobs are what we'll call secondary workers in a family. So they'll be teenagers, they'll be the second worker who's working part-time, and the primary worker in the family may already have a good income, and the family may be well mm -hmm. above poverty. So a lot of the effect of the minimum wage is going to drift off into families who are already out of poverty and will probably raise the income of those families. Well, if poverty reduction is your main objective, uh, you're not gaining much if the benefits of the increased minimum wage trickle off into higher income families. Which leads me to the question about earned income tax credit. Can you explain to us what that means? Well, I'm glad you uh, introduced it because if you weren't going to, I was going to. I figured. And I want to, in fact, set this whole thing into a larger context. If you're a low-income family in America today, um, you're going to get some of your income by working, but food stamps are going to be a really important part mm -hmm. of your resources. Moreover, if you're working in a low-wage job and you're in, let's say, a family of four, you will get the earned income tax credit. So you say, what is that? The earned income tax credit uh, had its birth in the early 70s with Senator Russell Long, remember him, huh? He was a Southern, Southern Democrat. Democrat. Exactly. Equivalent of a Republican, almost Tea Party guy. That's correct, okay. yep. And he hated welfare. So his belief was, well, if you could get people to work, and then find a way to pay them more while they were working, that would be a better way to do it. Mm -hmm. So it was basically his original idea. Interesting. And here's how it works. If you are working and earning, but you're only earning a little bit, the earned income tax credit will subsidize your earnings at a rate of about 50%. As you earn more, that subsidy will continue at a 50% level until some maximum level. 
Then if you keep earning more, that 50% rate will taper off. And as you work and earn a good deal, the rate will go down to 10% and then to 0%. Let me understand something. So if you're working 40 hours a week making $8 an hour and you're supporting three kids, that would be $12 an hour after your earned income tax credit? Um, I'd have to place it exactly on that chart, but probably about uh, $11, $12. That's so correct. that would take you just out of poverty. That would. So already we have a policy in effect, which is supplementing the earnings of low-wage workers. Okay, my first reaction that would be would be less distortive to the marketplace if we gave money directly to the low-income people that way than try to manipulate the market of wages. Well, is that fair to that say? Well, that is exactly the point. And you buy that? I, I do, and I'll go on and I'll say more. It's one Please. of the reasons why I don't give a lot of credence to the raise minimum wage to $15 living wage point of view. But let me give there you a devil's a better, advocate. Let me there, give you, I'll give you a devil's advocate to that, which is it's a hassle to get this money. You get paid $15 an hour, they hand you the check. Isn't there a long time delay to get reimbursed by the no, government? No, no, no. No? Oh. So <laughs> a long time delay would mean you have to file your income tax. Right, that's okay. what I thought. Oh, okay. So the a few months yes. delay. Absolutely. That's big. But then you get a lump sum. Yeah, but you have to be a budgeter. You have to be able to plan. How, hey, we're going to talk to your partner. We're going to get money about six months from now, and we're now we don't have enough to live on, but we'll, fi- we'll wait, and then what? Well, in point of fact, there is a way in which you can file periodically over the course of a year and receive periodic payments. And it'll surprise you as it surprises me. There aren't that many low-income families that choose that option. It doesn't surprise me because people don't like detail. Well, okay, that's part of it is they don't know that option's available. Part of it is I've got to sit down and file an interim return Yeah, and so on. I agree. Yeah, well, I, I don't frankly see that as a great solution because in reality, most people aren't that sophisticated who are making eight bucks an hour to know how to file the return, where to go, what to do. It seems intimidating. Well, I'll tell you, there's a lot of effort now on the part of both uh, private sector accounting firms, uh, employment agencies, and the federal government to work with low-income families to assist them in filing for the earned income tax credit. And I must say, if you are a low-income family and all of a sudden you're getting a check for $4,000, it allows you to make a big-ticket purchase that otherwise you would never get to make. Is that good or bad? Oh, I think that's good. You probably can buy a car that you can now drive to work instead of having to... But, you know, this might be a stereotype, but in terms of skills of budgeting and financial management... Might that be disruptive? You get the 4000 and if you're not skilled at budgeting and financial planning, you might not use that money in the best way if it comes in one big lump sum. Oh, I'm sure that there are low-income families that, from your perspective and my perspective, are making dumb decisions here. Mm-hmm. I, I have no doubt about that. 
Now, you know, what's the cure? Well, the cure is for God to come down and say, by golly, we'll oh. give everybody financial literacy. But that's not going to happen. And so then you have to say, okay, are we better off by jacking up a wage rate, which is a market-determined phenomenon, mm -hmm. or finding some other way to subsidize work, which the earned income tax credit does. Well, why have a minimum wage at all? Oh, that's a good question. I think most economists would totally sign on. They would say, if we can find a way to increase the earned income tax credit and do it in a sophisticated way, we don't need a minimum wage. We don't, it's a but, more effective way. But even right now, you, the earned income tax credit, the way you're explaining it, would get most full-time workers out of poverty. Yep. So we don't even need to increase it to do that. We just have to make sure everyone who knows about it or who, who's a, a candidate for it is getting it. Well, I would say that the take-up rate for the EITC yeah. is now pretty high mm. and increasing. You know, Dick, part of what we have to realize here is that there is always going to be a subset of the nation who are going to be poor no matter what you do for them. Even if they work, they're not going to want to work or be able to work full time. Um, you can subsidize their earnings if they work, and that'll help. You can give them food stamps, and that'll help. But, you know, the goal of a full-time, 2,000-hour-a-year job is elusive for most of these low-income families. I mean, if you're a mother of 23 years old and you've got three kids at home, it's a myth to think that you're going to be out working 2,000 hours a week. A oh, year. Yeah, it's right. not going to happen. Therefore, as the former director of the Poverty Institute, an economist, what do you think is the way to eliminate poverty? I think that a set of programs that are targeted at sets of needs of low-income people is the best way to do it. So here's a package for you. I would institute a more generous earned income tax credit. I would forget about the minimum wage by and large. I would make sure we don't cut food stamps. I would increase the child care tax credit. What does that mean? That means if I'm that 23-year-old mother with three children and I need to work and I put my children into child care, I can get a government subsidy to help me. And I would increase the number of Section 8 housing vouchers that are made available in the country to ease housing costs. And I think with that package of benefits, you'll go a long way to driving the poverty rate down. How much would that cost? Oh, you know, that's a good question. I don't have an answer for it. But that's going to be the opposition, isn't it? It costs too much. Well, I would bet that uh, at least the business community opposition yeah. would uh, fade if you said, well, we're not going to worry about increasing the minimum wage in the future. Um, the counterbalance. That's correct. You know, and part of what's the unsaid problem here, Dick, is the demand for low-skilled workers in the economy. Mm -hmm. Um, low-skilled workers have a tough time finding a job. Sure. 
you know, and in today's economy, even somebody with some college education has a tough time finding a good job. Um, I gave a lecture a few years, a, a few months ago in Australia. The title of the lecture it was "The U.S. Labor Market Is a Mess," and we're on pretty rocky patch here in terms of how our labor market is working. We don't have enough demand for labor. The demand that we have is ill distributed over the skill distribution. People who have tons of skills are making out like bandits in this labor market. People with low skills are hurting. And you know, it's a situation that you look at and you say, well, it's not a very healthy national situation. In closing, we covered a lot of ground and yep. uh, I think it's been very elucidating. Is there anything about this minimum wage proposition of $15 an hour that is, we haven't said this important, or would you like to peg what you'd like to see the minimum wage at if it was up to you, Bob? Setting the minimum wage is a matter of where a person's values are and the kind of trade-offs they make. And so they say, you say to yourself, well, what do I really think the employment effects are going to be of an increase in the minimum wage? What do I really believe the benefits of an increased minimum wage are going to, who they're going to flow to, really poor people or people above the poverty line? And I would say if we maintained a situation now of increasing the minimum wage at the inflation level, it wouldn't make me unhappy as long as we didn't have big cutbacks in food stamps and other things. So you wouldn't want to jump at more than just 3 or 4% from where it's at now? You say maintain it with inflation? Or you mean catch well, up if, to where Yeah, let me finish my sentence. I'm sorry. Okay, I would be happier if somebody said, well, because we had a higher minimum wage 15, 20 years ago, let's try to move ourselves back up there, but not let's do it in one fell swoop and jump to 15, let's increase the minimum wage annually by twice the rate of inflation, by three times the rate of inflation, if you will. Let's edge ourselves back up there and then see what happens. Bob, th Dave, I'm sorry. I think that just jumping to a $15 minimum wage as a mantra for you know, doing something big is probably harmful. Bob Haven, I thank you very much, and I hope we'll have you back to deal with some of these other very important economic issues. My pleasure. Thanks, Dick.